Hi, this is Ethan Stoll. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the May Seattle Dining Show number 1604. I'm Connie Adams, editor of Seattle Dining, and I'm here with Tom Marin, the publisher of Seattle Dining. Howdy doody. Oh no. Wasn't there a how there was a howdy doody show where you Is this a howdy doody duty hour now? <laughs> we can only hope not. Uh, that's uh clearly that name was picked up before anybody really talked about what duty was. It's not a popular term in Seattle, howdy doody. No, don't, you don't think hear of that. your get your mind out of the gutter. It's just howdy doody. <laughs> That's all. You just don't know what people think, so I have to throw everything out there. Well, I have just come back fairly recently from a trip to Seaside and Cannon Beach, and it was spring, of course, so it was storms and rain, and then it would clear and be lovely, and then storm and rain. Um, and Tom and I recently were up at Suncadia and went to Swiftwater Cellars to their Petite Verdot release party, which was fun. And that was also kind of, you know, we'd be in the hot tub and then it would rain on us. And so uh, we thought it would be fun to talk today about spring getaways. So some great places to go where you can be outside, but if it turns on you, as it will, being inside is really fun, either because of what they offer or because it's so great to sit and look at the weather outside. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, But we wanted to also talk about a new book that Tom has discovered that he's very excited about. Uh, The book is called Smart Fat, and it was written in 2015, and it was just released in January. And it has quite a bit of the real modern science of food and what it does when it gets in your body and uh, how to how to get yourself in a better position, but also if you use the book and you're a little bit overweight, you start dropping. I've dropped uh, eight pounds in eight weeks now. And I'm never hungry Mm -hmm. because I'm eating over 2,000 calories a day. Uh, Part of the strategy of the book is amp up your intake of protein, but when it comes to meat proteins, it has to be grass-fed beef or it has to be range... Organic. Uh, Yeah, organic chicken that's been free-ranged. Same thing with your eggs. And uh, at certain times, they're suggesting you have organic vegetables and fruits, but not always. You know, there's the dirty dozen in the the fruits, and I think that we have dirty dozen in the veggies, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if I'm using, like, a lemon rind in a recipe, then they're going to call for an organic lemon Mm -hmm. for that. But otherwise, I could just buy a regular lemon. So uh, I'm having really good success with it, and it's really kind of an adventure when I go out to a restaurant now, Mm -hmm. because you know that 99% of the restaurants, you're not going to get grass-fed beef, and uh, you're not going to get organic chicken unless it says so. Um, you, you know, you can ask all you want, but if, it is, if they didn't put it on the menu, it's probably not an organic chicken. It's not chicken. there, but if you ask... And enough people ask, it may become something on the menu, which would be good. And then around the house here, it's just been spectacular, the kind of stuff that that, uh, 
that they come up with in the book. They have a, a 30 different recipes in the book. And then knowing what I know about food, which is about, you know, nothing, um, <laughs> I can make up my own recipes too mm-hmm. and follow their guidelines. And so uh, the flavor here, and I think, I think I've used my kitchen more in the last two months than I used it in the last two years. Yeah. So it's kind of good to be back in the kitchen and uh, kind of kind of a lot of fun, a good adventure, but it's probably something that I want to stick with uh, in terms of guidelines. Uh, it would be a good idea for me or anybody else to stick with the guidelines they teach in the book for the rest of your life. Yeah. The other thing I'd like to mention about this is that it's not just one book. This is scientifically researched, fact-based information, and in fact... I can't remember if it was just a year ago, but sometime, I mean, it was a good amount of time, at least a year ago, that I asked a woman who had written a book called The Big Fat Surprise oh, yeah. if I could reprint um, an article she had published in the Wall Street Journal. That was in 2014. 2014. So it was two years ago. And that's based on this same information. So the government is kind of sticking with their food pyramid and the carbs and 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 they're, they've totally turn their backs on sugar now. They say sugar's bad, but what what you don't realize is that certain vegetables and fruits, once you eat them, turn immediately into sugar. Like bananas. Mm -hmm. Or white potatoes. And the the thing about the the government USDA guidelines is that, forget it, because it'll take years for people like the potato industry to give up on lobbying the government and, and, and take potatoes out of the pyramid, that kind of thing. All the rices and stuff. You know, unless you're buying a whole grain brown rice or a wild rice, you can forget about any other grain. But the government's not going to stop that right now. Yeah. Um, you so know. you have to do it yourself. You have yeah, to look when they at tell what's going to be bread, good. They just tell you to eat bread. They tell you to when you eat white bread or Dave's Killer bread. Yeah. So, so uh, don't wait for the uh, USDA guidelines to come up mm-hmm. because uh, you'll be waiting about five or ten years. Yeah. The other thing I'd like to mention is that uh, you talk about wanting to buy grass-fed organic meats, it is more expensive. However, uh, Tom recently made a dinner where it was tandoori chicken, and it had, what, cilantro and lemon and ginger? What was the other thing on top? Turmeric. Turmeric. Oh, Um, paprika. Paprika. Yeah. So it ended up that we each had a thigh. We had two thighs each. Two thighs, yeah, sorry, two thighs each. And that was it. We, we were more than satisfied. So actually, yeah. you don't need to be making a big dinner. No. So you might no. save money by, uh, you know, you don't have another vegetable, you don't have another, you know, and you get your vegetables throughout the day for other things. But you don't actually have to eat as many courses sort of thing or no. many. And so. for dessert, we had the cherry ricotta swirl, which was just yeah. like a, a great shot of calcium. and Yogurt. Just, yeah, it was uh, organic ricotta. And uh, there, it was yogurt and a tandoori chicken. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. So uh, definitely. So so now we're going to talk about some of the restaurants we've been going to. And probably throughout the show, I may uh, uh, kind of go back to what I'm learning out of the book. And uh, because it's hard for me to talk about something and go, oh, you just had really great pasta. Because you know what? You don't want to eat pasta on the smart fat diet. Yeah. So you're going to get a little bit of my slant here as we go down the list. Mm-hmm. Um, the first place that we ate at that's on our list here, uh, we were out at the Brick Tavern for when we went out to Suncadia. We decided to go up and have lunch up at the Brick. In Roslyn. In Roslyn. Um, 
And uh, it's one of the oldest taverns in the state of Washington. And it has a uh, spittoon that's still there on the floor by the bar, but people don't use it anymore, fortunately. <laughs> and uh, and they're taking really good good care of the place. Obviously, it was sort of an icon in the North Northern Exposure right. TV show. And you'd wonder, you know, what's going on with Roswell now that they don't do that TV show up there anymore? Well, drive out and find out. Um, you know, it's it's a fun place, good place to go grab a beer or something if you're up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't want to, if you're going to stay at Suncadia, you want to get out a little bit too. So that's an opportunity yeah. to get out. One of the things that I think is funny about the brick, and it has nothing to do with food or beverage, and it's only funny to me because I don't work there, but in the back where the pool tables are and games and stuff like that beyond the bathrooms, they have a, it's not a step ladder, it's like a ladder that you'd put a, in a library or something, and that's how the staff goes up and down from the upstairs oh. on this ladder. It's like, wow. So we wouldn't really say that was handicap accessible upstairs. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, not for general public. Now, the other place in uh, Roslyn that we ate at was the Roslyn Cafe, and uh, I seem to remember I was able to get a fairly good breakfast there. Yeah, we. Um, I'm trying to think what you had, but you were careful about how you ordered, and it was it was good. Um, they had some inter- They had some like uh, oats and things like yeah, that. On yeah, the- they, they were had doing some, options, some, healthy some options. whole foods in there. Yeah. So um, another place that we ate at, and you know, I kind of thought, well, this is it. I'm never going to a place like this. And the more I think about it, now I want to go back because I can. Uh, Great State Burgers. That's a Josh Henderson restaurant up on, uh, what is that? There's a couple. There's South Lake Union and also the one up by... Um, by the University of Village. Village. Yeah. Yeah. Up, right on, up on Sandpoint. Yeah. So um, I, I was impressed. They had um, grass-fed burgers. They're really small, though. They're, they're like, a, yeah. I don't know, they're not even a quarter pound. They're like a fifth pound. Well, and I think the thing is, grass-fed meat is more expensive, so they're trying to keep the price point to a certain level. And... Most people don't need that much meat, but you can get a double well, they burger. Do. Actually, people oh, eat a lot now. more protein than yeah. we, now we say they do our... now. But um, but I was satisfied with the one burger. Yeah, I, mean, I would have to get the double burger when I go again. Yeah. Um, and they had sweet potato fries. Yeah. And sweet potato fries are way better. They don't have as much of a glycemic load mm-hmm. as uh, white potato fries yeah. or whatever. So uh, actually doing good things there. Yeah. Uh, we went to Safeco Field and checked out all the new food down there. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'm thinking it's probably not the healthiest, but, um, hey, you're at the baseball game. You're having an experience, you know, and it is tasty. Um, they had some uh, interesting things. They're making their own potato chips and then putting their pork or their prime rib on the potato chips. It's sort of their version of poutine. Oh, okay. That was kind of interesting, I thought. So um, Well, and that's an Ethan Stoll operation. He's the consultant on all the food yeah. that goes around in there. And, you know, Ethan has lost a ton of weight. 50 pounds. He's got a trainer. He's He's been on a, a nutrition kick. And I'm hoping that um, some of what he's learning for himself is going to translate into some of the restaurants and some of the consulting work that he does. Yeah. Um, Safeco Field also has sweet iron waffles. Hope I'm saying that in the right order. Um, that's another uh, group that's coming in, and and they're uh, partnering with Hempler 
meats. So the meats are all coming from the local Hempler people, which is nice too. Okay. But those two things are off my list. Yes. Uh, actually, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to talk to the uh, Hempler people, I think, and maybe do an article on them because I want to find out more about their meats and, and what's going on. Waffles are not going to be you know, good Waffles for you. Once are again, off my list. It's a, it's an processed ex- meats off my it's list. It's a treat. You know, it's one of yeah. those things that you're going to treat yourself to. Well, that's true. And, you know, I, I got this book. I'm not going to stay tried and true to it every day, but probably six days a week I will. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's tasty as well as being good for you. So you're not really feeling uh, denied, which yeah. is why you can stick with it. And then we went over to uh, Bramling Cross. Another Ethan Stoll place. And uh, I don't know. I forget what I had. Actually, you had the uh, flank steak. The Oh, yeah. The hanger steak. Okay. Yeah, and you were very happy with it, as I yeah. recall. It was not grass-fed, but um, it was really tasty. And, and the other two of us had uh, the clams, and they were really, really good. So we enjoyed that meal. So you've been eating some places that I haven't been. So where where yes. have you gone? We went to La Pichet, which I had not been to in a while. I've certainly been there before, and I love it. But I hadn't been there for a while, and it was um, quite good. We um, we I kind of did more of a, a breakfast thing, an egg dish, and it was delightful and very French. Um, so that was good. And I got quite a, a bump on, when we put that up on Facebook, you did the Restaurant Champs uh, yes. bit on that. And so I put that up on Facebook, and a lot of people responded positively. So Yeah, it's it, they Jim and Joanne do such a great job there, and um, very nice. Um, in, in Seaside, when I was there, it's a little hard. I don't want to slam the whole city, but it's a little hard on the coast to find really good food. It is. It's because it's touristy, and a lot of people, because it's seasonal, they don't stay in business, you know, and charging high prices doesn't always work for a tourist thing. But there was a place called Noni's Italian Bistro, and I think it's been there a while. I'm not sure how I did not know of it before. But we had a really nice dinner. Now, mind you, again, this was before the Smart Fat book. Um, we were having pasta but it was it, and bread, uh, garlic bread, but it was really delicious, and it was a cute, nicely done inside um, a lot of locals, you could tell it wasn't, uh, there were some touristy kind of people. I don't know that we would have looked touristy, of course, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it seemed like the place where a lot of locals went, and it was very enjoyable, nice. Um, they had a, a bar with a full bar and, and nice wines, too. So, And then recently, um, I was at Bix and had the red curry mussels. And, you know, both of us like Bix, anyway. Yeah. And, um, a lot of people like those mussels. Yeah, they're very good. Um, That's kind of been a staple on their... They always have some kind of a curry thing going on. They do. But the mussels has been a regular for a long time Mm -hmm. now. I ironically had been to lunch that day elsewhere and had mussels at lunch, which I thought were very good, but these kind of put them to shame. Well, you must have really had some mussels by the end of the day. I did. I can lift anything now. (laughs) And then we wanted to mention Swiftwater again because... uh, for a couple of reasons. They're going to be at Cooking with Class this year, and we're going to be talking with Clover Thurk later in the show about that event and the beneficiary for the event. But Swiftwater has um, a bar where they have uh, cocktails as well as their own wine and beer. Um, you can eat out in the kind of area, the, the great area, and there's the restaurant part, the Hoist House. Really good food. And, I like that place. And Taylor, uh, the chef from Swiftwater, is going to be at the event this year. So that's going to be very fun for us. It's his first time there. But don't wait for Cooking with Class to get to Swiftwater. No. Head on out to Swiftwater. Yeah. it's You know, and honestly, it's like 90 minutes. 
You could go out for lunch and come back. That's true. Do do check their website if you're going to do that because they have seasonal hours. So um, in the winter, they're not open, and I think they're closed Mondays or oh, something. Yeah. You know, just we bumped into that once. Yeah, so just uh, check it out. Um, in the summer, I think they're open all the time, but um, just to be safe. And then look what happened to the front of our magazine this month. You had all these Asian places. So you went to one of them, the Kizuki Ramen? Kizuki Ramen. And um, it's an interesting, I won't go into the whole thing because it's a long story, and it's on Seattle Dining, so go read it. But um, it's very traditional. They partnered, this group of relatively young people partnered with a ramen place in Japan, a very traditional place. And they checked out a lot of different places. That was the one they liked best. And they've brought it to the U.S. and also to Taiwan, and they're, I think, going into Canada. And they're in Indiana now, too, which is an interesting choice. But um, Well, if they're so, going to be in all those places, why don't they just call it Cali Ramen? <laughs> yeah, U.S. Ramen. It's like the Cali Burger, and there's not even one in California. So <laughs> There you I think, go. I think you should go they're, that way. They're opening in uh, Vancouver now. Yeah. So um, anyway, once again... Uh, if you're going to do ramen, it's not going to be on the Smart Fat book because it's wheat noodles. But I had some ramen. It was good. And, and uh, I also tried some of the side plates, the izakaya plates that they have. And there's some really tasty things on that menu. So at lunchtime, they are packed beyond belief. And it was very interesting how they seemed to manage the flow because the place was always full, and only once did I see a few people in line. So it did seem to kind of flow very well. There weren't people, like, waiting for half an hour to get in, which, you know, isn't, doesn't work at lunch usually. I don't know what dinner's like. I haven't been to dinner yet, so I don't know if it's as packed or if it's really a lunch place, but good food. Mm. And then I wanted to talk about Pearl. I was there the other night, and they are kind of celebrating the fact that after eight years... They're, wow, they're been re- that long. yeah. They're kind of repositioning themselves into more of a seafood house, and now it's going to be Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. Wow. So I had some prawns, a crab leg. They had a spicy tuna thing on a little uh, cracker kind of thing. Um, They had some, uh, uh, it wasn't smoked salmon. It was more like, um, what am I trying to say, Uh, raw salmon on a... Sashimi. Well, no, it's not sashimi. It's the, um, like, lox, what you'd have with lox. Um, well, locks. Hello, and uh, so that was that was interesting. Um, it's it's a place that is known for its happy hour. It's still a really good happy hour. The bar really packs in. They're doing good good dinner business. Um, they've got Mother's Day coming up, as everyone does. So, um, but anyway, it's it's always been worth going out to Pearl. But I think it's really kind of a fun kind of angle off they're doing right now. So it's going to be very good. Okay. Well, um, let's take a little break here, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about some ideas for spring getaways, and we'll be talking about our News Bites column. See you back here in just a moment. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, this is Brian Schieser from Trellis Restaurant at the Heathman Hotel in Kirkland, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Hi, I'm Brad from Snohomish. One of my favorite restaurants is Daniel's Broiler, where I enjoy a good ribeye.
Welcome back to the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Aaron, a publisher here with Connie Adams, our senior editor. I don't know what that senior means, but... Uh, Certainly not age-related, well, I'm sure. Thanks to uh, technology, uh, during the break, we just enjoyed uh, awesome grass-fed burgers. Awesome. Uh, put on Dave's Killer Bread with a Moroccan ketchup. Awesome. Shallots weaved into the meat and uh, mustard and... A little bit of cheese. Organic cheese. So uh, and, and organic bacon. And organic bacon. That's right. And so, uh, it, you know, the, 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 the buns, yeah, they're, they're not right in there with the smart fat diet, but we get, we'll slip every once in a while, like we said. They're seed-encrusted, you they're know? They're so full of seeds. They're, they're, they're as good for you as they're bad for you. Um, and by the way, I'm going to write that recipe up and put it on the next time we publish the magazine online. There's a plan. So everybody can enjoy that during grilling season. Uh, I might I might even put a couple more things up too. You never know. Yeah. So uh, so there you have it on the burger talk. <laughs> but now let's talk about spring getaways. And I'm looking at your list here, and I see uh, a lot of them could be multi day getaways, but they could oh, yeah. be like a, a one day getaway too, or mm-hmm. just a, a, a afternoon field trip. Yeah, if you just want to get out a little bit. I was going to talk about ocean places. Um, if you go someplace where you find a uh, room with big windows, you can people and dog watch and enjoy the constant weather change in spring. So in Oregon, there's places like Seaside. We've been staying at the Seashore Inn, and it is not fancy in any way, but it is right on the promenade. And on the other side of the promenade is the beach. So you just sit there and watch the clouds roll in and rain. And Can you see the water from there? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, so you can watch the waves crash oh, and yeah. all that. And the wind comes up and the, and the sand blows down the, the beach. Now, there's a number of places right along the promenade. So you don't have to do the seashore in particularly. It's just a place that we've gone several times, and it's really great. Cannon Beach, Newport, Florence, all of those have places like that. Um, in Washington, Claylock Lodge and the cabins mm-hmm. are right on the bluff, which is really fun. Ocean Crest up in Moclips, also right on the water, and they've yeah. got a, a, a staircase that goes down through the woods. And to they the got beach. the restaurant that's right out there and in the, the woods. Yeah, that's, that overlooking looks out to the ocean. So great place for meals. Yeah. And to, and there's that uh, Mill 109 restaurant oh, in yeah, that little in town that yeah Seabrook didn't exist ten years ago. Yeah. That's a fun little field trip. Yeah. Suncadia and Sun Mountain Lodge are lodges that have those great rooms, in, you know, the big lobby rooms that have enormous windows that look out at the mountains. What a fun place to watch weather come in. And the, and the restaurant there has that same view. Yes. And uh, the hot tub. Oh, oh man, so nice. that's awesome. You sit in that and you're looking across yeah. the entire, uh, well, not the entire Cascades, yeah. but a huge Stretch of the Cascades. Yeah, and the, and the hot tub being outside is at both Suncadia and Sun Mountain Lodge, so amazing. And then uh, you might want to go into the woods. Yeah. Uh, you got uh, uh, Mount Rainier down here is in the woods, but actually, you know, that has some of those beautiful panoramic views, too, out of the lodge. Mm-hmm. And uh, Or you could stay down at Longmire at the little lodge down there, and you would be in the woods. Yeah. Um, 
Lake Quinault, you're in the woods. You got a couple of nice hikes nearby, some very good food. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they even uh, bottle up some of their own jams and that sort of thing. So people who like that stuff, they're, they could take it home with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's always uh, Lake Crescent. I like that place. Right on the lake. It's very peaceful. No TVs. Actually, I, I messed up. It's Lake Crescent that bottles up their jams. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Lake Quinault has obviously quite a bit of history in terms of presidents that had stayed there yeah. over the years. But Teddy Roosevelt, I think, stayed at Lake uh, Crescent, too. Didn't he we? probably stayed everywhere. He, that guy was a sleeper around. Anywhere they could hunt, he'd oh, stay. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're kind of getting to be a little bit of expert on hot springs. So it's not just hot springs, but it's hot. Pools. So these would be domestic hot pools. They don't necessarily get fed by a mineral spring. Mm. But um, yeah, I last fall I made a whole tour out of that and took off for three days. And every every afternoon I'd roll in somewhere, take a soak in the mm-hmm. hot pool or the hot spring, and then have dinner, get up in the morning, take a soak again, uh. have breakfast and take off and go to my next destination which had a hot pool or a hot spring in it. So this is like, personally, a perfect getaway for me. You've got your road trip, you've got food, you've got hot pools. That just doesn't get any better. Mm -mm. That's the way to travel. And of course, when you go to any of those places, you typically have some pretty good food nearby. Mm -hmm. Maybe not right at the resort. Like I went to Belknap in October. And uh, they, they, they closed down a dining room in early September, so you can't get a meal there. I had to pack my own food in. Mm-hmm. That was okay. When I say I packed it in, I packed it in on the motorcycle that I rode in. So you know it wasn't a, a gourmet meal on the, on the bike. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, hiking in. Yeah. But um, uh, other places, like, like I said, Suncadia has an awesome hot pool, and they got good food right there on mm-hmm. the premises or right around in town in Wazel and there. Yeah, so. and also at Swiftwater Cellars, so... Plenty. Now, another thing to think about is staying in the city. So in Seattle, you've got the Edgewater, which needless to say is right on the water. You've got the Waterfront Merritt, which is across the street from the water, but right there. Four Seasons downtown. That sounds like uh, it wouldn't be on the water, but it is on First Avenue, and it looks out over Elliott Bay. It's beautiful. okay. It's quite beautiful. Um, so you can watch all the Bertha operations? Well, I don't know. You'd want to get down close to that and really feel the shaking <laughs> of the ground. Um, south of Seattle, there's a place called Soundview Cottage B&B that overlooks Puget Sound. That's a, a good one. And that's like, I don't, I'd have to go out and see if they've got food there. Be fun if you could actually eat there and just do a day thing. Um, Silver Cloud, people will say Silver Cloud motels. Why are you saying this? But they're they're way nicer than people think they are. Plus, Muckleteo and Tacoma are right on the water, and they are building a new one right on the water in Point Ruston in Tacoma. Now, are they going to have restaurants in these? You know, I don't know. They don't at Muckleteo. I do not know about Tacoma. So far, the only ones I'm aware of are Jimmy's on First and Jimmy's on Broadway. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what they're doing on the new ones coming in. Hmm. So, but... You know, because this is our city category, you know there's food all over the place yeah. around them. So if you if you are well, looking for a true. place that's on the water where you can watch the weather come in and out, they're great. Tacoma would be a good place to go have a little field trip in for food. Yeah. They've got some good places to eat down there. And, you know, the Silver Cloud down in the stadium, Silver Cloud by the 
Hello Stadiums. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a rooftop pool that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. So, you know, if it's warm enough. They'll know about it after the earthquake. Yeah, because it'll come down through all the rooms. Yeah. Nice. That's what I always worry about. Yeah, it's good to have something to worry about. All right, let's uh, let's jump into news bites now. I don't have it on my screen here, so you lead and I'll tell the jokes. Oh, okay. And people will love that. Uh, Ballard Pizza Company, which is in, surprisingly, Ballard, is opening in South Lake Union, 609th Avenue, and they're going to do an 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. time frame, Monday through Saturday. They'll do whole pies and slices, and the happy hour is... Going to be 4 to 8 p.m. Plus, there's an outdoor patio. So as the weather continues to improve. So when's the South Lake Pizza Company opening, South Lake Union Pizza Company opening up in Ballard? In Ballard. You'd think somebody would take him on that way. Cali Burger, which, uh, you know, has nothing to do with California. Uh, opened or, in, or burgers. Or burgers. Well, yes, it does have something to do with burgers. <laughs> and it says Cali Burger USA, but in reality... Uh, they never opened in USA until they opened in the U District, but now they're opening in BC in Vancouver in late May. Yeah, earlier when you said Vancouver, I didn't know which one you meant, north or south. You know, it was funny. The press release I got didn't say, but it said it's opening on Thurlow Street, and I was thinking, well, I don't know Vancouver, Washington that well, but then it said just off Robson, so I knew what they yeah. were talking about. It's going to be larger. They've got two storefronts, and it's going to seat 60, so it's going to be bigger than the one in the U District. And then you're going to love this. There's a new AVA, the Lewis Clark Valley American Viticultural Area in the Bitterroot Mountains. And that's in Idaho. Yeah. So I remember, you know, 10 years ago, there was uh, winemakers in Idaho that would bring their wine to, say, like Taste Washington, Mm -hmm. but they sourced all their grapes out of Washington or Oregon. And now we're actually seeing some Idaho grapes getting pressed and... And interestingly, this isn't a very kind of mountainous region. So it's... Uh, the Bitterroot s- Wilderness? Yeah. Um, well, that's what the press release said. You say it's not a mountainous? It is. Oh, it's yes, it is. Yeah. yeah, it's mountainous. So it's, uh, as a good AVA should, it's got its own terroir. So Now, the hard thing about that area is it's uh, seemingly always on fire every summer. Ooh. So maybe a winery will be good. Maybe it'll cut down the amount of acreage it actually burns yeah. if... if uh, and there'll be a lot of ash going into the soil, so Ooh. bonus. Um, there is a woman named Chef Taylor Cheney, and she is doing a pop-up. On News Bites, I've got a pop-up that she's doing at Marjorie on Monday nights only. It's called Yala, which means let's go. So, Yala um, go. Yala go. So 1412 East Union Street, Mondays only. But I also read that she's doing brunch pop-ups at Hitchcock on Bainbridge Island. So Mm. I I sort of thought, well, that's an interesting thing. She doesn't have her own place, but if she does enough of these around, she's actually busy. It's a lot of work. I carry all that gear around. Well, no, because she's going into restaurants. Yeah, but how much of their gear? I mean, she's going to want to have her own Maybe trunk of stuff she likes to use. I don't know the detail on this, but it suddenly occurred to me it's it's an interesting alternative. So it sounds like a, a Bainbridge field trip is in order for a brunch, yeah. And it's Arabic. The, the brunch is kind of Arabic. Oh wow! So it would be very interesting. Is there special dancing that happens? Possibly in the kitchen with Chef Taylor. I don't know about any of the guests. <laughs> um, an interesting thing 
has come up with Benihana of Seattle. It's changed its name to Hamanatsu. I'm assuming that's correctly pronounced. 1200 Fifth Avenue, always in the same place it was, same owners who were franchisees. Are you going to break my heart and tell me they're not doing the... uh... No. This is the interesting thing to me. If it is indeed a breaking off of the franchisee agreement, Uh it says that they're still doing teppanyaki and the all-you-can-eat sushi lunch buffet. Huh. Maybe they amped up the food quality and they're going to raise the prices too. Well, maybe, but... Well, I haven't eaten there so long, I can't tell you what the quality was like because it's been a while. Boy, it has been a while for me, probably five years. You know what my favorite uh, dish is at Tepon? It's uh, the uh, shrimp the from the chef's hat. That's oh, yeah. the one I like. Yeah. That they toss it in and then feed you out of the hat. Yeah. Yeah. You've I always... just stick my toothpick in and pull it out. <laughs> you know, they've asked you to stop doing that so many times, I can't even count. That's why they don't let me in anymore. <laughs> exactly. Um, this probably won't change anything about anything, but the rock wood-fired kitchen has a new CEO. And this is the first CEO, new CEO in the 21 years of their history. So it's kind of a big deal for the company. They're in Alaska, Oregon, Colorado, and Washington. I don't think there'll probably be too many changes. I think they probably are trying to get the people who started it maybe ready to retire or just don't want to have as large of a role. I don't know. But another big thing was the opening of the first cafe for La... See, I'm going to say this wrong. Marzocco, maybe. And these are the people who make espresso machines. Uh huh. So they've put a cafe in the radio station KEXP out in the lobby. And they not only have a rotating lineup of roasters, so you're going to have a different type of coffee when you go, depending on how often you go, but they've got an espresso machine lab. So you can see all the different machines, like if you're thinking about getting one. Oh, sure. You know, and then they have barista classes and some other educational classes. So it's it's quite a big deal. Huh. Uh, that's not the company that sells all the espresso machines to Starbucks, is it? Uh, it was at one time, and then Starbucks took a turn. Okay. And I, it, they did a, and it was a big deal when they did it. I can't tell you now what it was, but they were going for a different kind of. Um, so when they do their guest barista spots, uh, we won't be seeing Howard Schultz in there. No. Okay. No, I'm thinking he won't be doing any training. And then uh, after quite a run, Spur Gastropub has closed in Belltown. They still have Tavern Law and Old Sage. Um, the- Hold on. Alphabetically speaking, I think you should say Old Sage first and then Tavern Law. I think everyone's worried about that. They get confused when I don't go alphabetical, yeah. don't it's, they? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a lost art, alphabetically speaking. I just don't see people doing it anymore. <laughs> I... Uh, I don't know why, you know, old old things go away and they shouldn't probably, but. So anyways, as you were saying. Anyway, um, I don't really know the scoop. The rumors are that Spur closed due to financial issues. I don't know if, if that endangers the other two or if it's just, you know, time to close one and, and put your efforts into the other two. I simply don't know. But hopefully the other two will be around because there's good things to be had at these places. And then kitchen surfing, this was an interesting one. I want your opinion on this. I have one. I think you, you know, surprisingly, I knew you would. Kitchen surfing was a company that would send a chef to your home to cook. And you could go out, I I believe you could go out and pick your chef. And it was kind of good for chefs because if they weren't working full time, they could enhance their work and go out and do these private things. 
Um, it was like, what, $2 million sunk into that? $20 million. $20 million, and they did not make it. It was all over in the middle of April, about so, six months. Yeah, so my opinion is this. If you were thinking about investing in kitchen serving, we have an investment fund for you to get into right here at <laughs> Seattle Dining. You can just bring your millions right over here and yes. pop us up and make us bigger than any kitchen surfing ever yeah. could have been. And we actually offer something that apparently people want. Apparently for 17 years. Yeah. And rather apparently. than 17 months or whatever it was. Yeah. I don't know. I my, my kind of musing on this is that uh, there's a lot of us who are very into food. But if you're really into food, I don't know that you want a chef necessarily to come into your house. I think it's people who have jobs where they're working flat out all the time, like we're not, and uh, but they don't want to cook. Well, our friend Ron Holden posted this up on Facebook, and some of the chatter going back and forth was that uh, what kitchen serving was doing can be done for free on Craigslist. Oh. So if Chef Peter Levine wants to say, hey, I'm available next week to cook at your home, Call me and let's make a deal. Oh. He could do that for free. He doesn't have to pay a fee. I think well, weren't those guys taking like twenty percent or something like that? You'd have to take something. I mean, they were. Yeah. You know, they they had to pay off that debt somehow. Yeah, it was like a payday loan. <laughs> <laughs> now, my next one actually should be on the calendar. I'm not sure why I've got it in the news bites, but Pike Brewing down at the market is doing women in beer. May 16th from 5 to 8 at the brewery. It's $35 uh, ticket. You can get those on brown paper tickets. And you get 10 drink tickets, food, music, and discounted parking. It's a, something they do annually. It's very fun. And it's, you know, it's I think nice you were to just trying to women. get their attention on social media. Probably. You put at Pike Brewing Company. So you see, I you did. were trying to get them to retweet you. I was like, Charles, please. <laughs> <laughs> Roseanne. Um, Ghostfish Brewing Company did their first seasonal release, and that was in April. Kai Dog Red IPA. And another thing about them, which isn't in our news bites right now, is they are working toward having their own kitchen at Ghostfish. Oh, that'd be good. And, and, and the point of doing it, the reason it's good is because they make gluten-free beer, so they're going to do a whole gluten-free menu. So yeah. it'll be good, just like the beer is good. You don't have to be gluten-free to like it. And speaking but, of Ghostfish Brewing, and this isn't on social media or anywhere else, yeah. we had one of their beers today at lunch. We did. Yeah. It and, was the pale ale out of the can that they served down at Safeco Field. Yeah, that was my next thing. They are part of the beer, local beer that is at Safeco Field this year. So that's a big deal, too. Um, you may have put this one up, the bake, Butcher and Baker Provisions opening yeah. in Port Gamble. Do you want to so, talk about that? Yeah, there was this barbecue place out there in Port Gamble when you were on the highway, not when you dropped into Port Gamble, but you went past. It's in the old gas station in Port Gamble. And, uh, and I, I went out to take a look and see what was going on with the barbecue place a couple of weeks ago, and it was gone. And it's going to be this place called Butcher and Baker Provisions. Uh, the guy is a butcher. The, other, the girl who, who is with him is a baker. Uh, they'll be having baked goods you can pick up and take away, uh, as well as uh, butchered products you can wow. pick up and take away. And they will also be doing like small plates type things. I think we're going to have to wait and see how this all turns out. Now, actually, he was fairly... Sure, he was going to open by the end of April, so they may be open oh. now. So if you're heading out toward Hood Canal, uh, yeah. stop by <clears> and see if they're open and take a look at what's going on and maybe put it on your list of places to go. Yeah, that would be fun. And and you can eat there as well? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So. I think it's going to be like small plates, mm-hmm. so it might be some charcuterie and yeah. a and a cookie. Yeah. So nah, you could stop for a little. <laughs> you could well maybe. You could stop for a little bite and then uh, take take away something for dinner that night to cook wherever you're going. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he has grass fed or not. Mm, I hope true. so. Yeah, that would be nice. And then I think probably a lot of people have heard this already because he's on a roll, but Brian Clevenger is going to open Rocolto, a pasta kind of vegetarian-focused seafood place in West Seattle um, this summer. And the reason I say he's on a roll is because he has Vendemia that he opened, and then he opened Anchor Seafood, I think right next door, where you can get stuff to eat, but it's also a market. And so now he's heading into West Seattle. So he's doing a... Tom Douglas, Ethan Stoll thing, Renee Erickson thing. He's getting bigger. Okay, so are we ready to uh, take a break here and come back with the calendar? We are indeed. All right, we'll be right back. Hi, this is Lenny from Eskimo Wine and Spirits, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Hi, I'm Camille. I live in Tonino, and one of my favorite restaurants is Bell & Wheat because it's amazing. Jump left. Jump right. Jump left. Jump right. Jump left. back here to talk about some calendar items. What's going on in May? The 1st of May is the last time for the year that you can get Cocoron at Luke. I love that name. It just flows off your tongue. Cocoron. Cocoron. Do you roll the R? Cocoron. Uh, no, I don't. Not so much in French, I don't think. We better call the chef in the hat and find yeah, out. Yeah, Terry's going to have to well, listen to this and then tell us how we're doing it wrong. Um, that's on Sunday, May 1st, and as I said, it's the last one for the season, um, but it's Coco Van, a classic French dish, plus a glass of Cote du Rhone, which in in here I've spelled Cote du Thone, so I think I should fix that. Um, and that's $30, so that'll be fun, and that's Luke at 2800 East Madison. And then Tavolata does their feast each month, and the May feast is May 1st, and it's all things foraged and found, from fiddlehead ferns to morel mushrooms, green garlic to wild crust. So that's going to be great. Adam is a wonderful chef, and, and we've had some veggies there that have been beyond belief. So that's going to be tasty. I was worried about, worried about fiddlehead ferns getting, like, stuck in my epiglottis. Aren't they kind of spiky? Is this about the same level of worry that you have over people not talking alphabetically anymore? Yeah. I okay. mean, alphabetically speaking, I'm a little concerned about yeah. this. You At know? least it's fiddlehead ferns. So you've got two Fs right in a row, and you don't have to worry about word placement. Yeah, but the fiddle's in front of the fern. Oh, man. It gets complicated. Complicated. Uh, let's move on to the Cinco de Mayo cooking class at Lisa Dupar Catering Kitchen out in Redmond. That should be fun. You get to start with a hot, sweet cocktail, a caliente Cadillac margarita. And then uh, Lisa and Chef Juan, he's going to share his heritage with uh, his Camarones Diablo. Diabla, and those are uh, spicy shrimp, she-devil shrimp. So it's only female shrimp? Yes. Diabla? Because you know women. Um, They are hot and spicy. So there's going to be chipotle-merited pork chops. Uh, It's going to be very tasty. 
and even Chef Juan's mother's carne asada, which has got to be good. That's $65 a person, um, and again, it's out in Redmond. All of these are on our our calendar, so you can go out to Seattle Dining at any time and look up the information. We don't have a ton on there about Cinco de Mayo, but um, one of the things I put up the other day on Facebook was uh, you can use our restaurant directory and punch on Mexican. Yeah. And then you could even like dial it down to a neighborhood you want to go and then just start calling into some of these places and go, what are you doing for Cinco de Mayo? Or yeah. click to their websites from there. Because they should have something up by now. Let's see. On May 4th, there's a... Nolitz Gin Tasting Event at Spazo. Spazo also out in Redmond. That begins at 6.30. It's 30 per person plus tax and service. Um, and that is going to be that you learn how to use gin to create delicious sprink, sprink, spring drink applications. Sprinkly speaking. Sprinkly speaking. Alphabetically sprinkly speaking. And then on the 4th starts a two-week class wine and food pairing with Woodhouse winemaker Jean-Claude Beck. So this is uh, South Seattle, Seattle College's South, South Seattle. So that's going to be good. That's going to be um, – he has worked in France, California, and Oregon before making wine in Washington. So that's going to be very interesting. You make his wine in a wood house? I bet that's why they named it there. Mm. Just exactly right. I was like that musician, the singer, Woody Woodhouse. I miss him. He passed away. But he used to sing at Serafina all the time. That's not like – Bodie McBoatface, is it Woody no, Woodhouse? No, 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 no. It was really Woody Woodhouse. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Woody McWoodhouse. Oh, okay. That, that was my confusion. He even had a he even had an album called Cooking with Wood. Wow. Yeah. And he did the best version of, of Bill Withers you ever heard. Oh. Anybody who, who talks about food and sings is, is good with you. Yeah. Yeah. On May 6th, the Woodenville Reserve Spring Releases, that's uh, Woodenville Wine Country putting that on, $60. A portion of the proceeds support the charity partner, the Good Times Project. Then on the 6th, we've got Taste of Northwest three-day cruise. That is going to be a really fun thing. Um, Port Ludlow, Puget Sound Express have partnered. So you go out on the boat during the day, stay at Port Ludlow at night, and you're going out cruising the Salish Sea and having culinary adventures on the peninsula. I don't know how anything could be better than that. So, um, Bodie McBoat Cruise. The Bodie McBoat Culinary Cruise. <laughs> it's excellent. And then... Uh, it does look like a lot of fun. We've been watching all the stuff going around on it, and it does look yeah. like it's a good time. Nice ships um, that you're out on, and then it's beautiful to be out there, of course, and then you're going to stop, and you're going to go into places and try things out and learn some things about food. Too fun. Now, I know this is a huge portion of our readership and listenership who's going to be into this, but there's an inaugural event for the Nordic Culinary Conference. So uh, it is truly... Do you have to be Norwegian to go? No, you do not. Okay. No, you do not. You have to wear any special attire? Or? <laughs> no. You are going to... Let's see. This is a lot of information they put in here. Um, you don't have to read the whole I'm thing. I'm not going to. I'm trying to figure out what would You're just be trying to, to find say. out if they're going to have a lutefisk appetizer Exactly, or because I just can't go. And they're, um, they're partnering with Tom Douglas's Hot Stove Society, so there's also going to be a slate of courses f- during the conference. Okay, so. now, now you know it's going to be lutefisk you can actually eat. <laughs> yeah, if Tom's involved. Oh, Tom, yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, that starts on the 6th. On the 7th, there's a tea and chocolate pairing at Experience Tea. Um that's kind of fun. $25. That's in Issaquah. 
And then we get into Mother's Day things. Now, Lark is doing an interesting thing because they're doing Mother's Day and Kentucky Derby. Well, let's preface this Mother's Day section by saying... We are not going to go over this. We are not going through three pages of Mother's Day listings, but Connie has done a fantabulous job of putting every Mother's Day meal and event that you can think of in the Puget Sound onto the calendar. So you're encouraged to head out to the calendar and take a look through there. There's so much stuff that even if, you know, some of the big ones are sold out, you've probably got a lot of choices of things you can get into at the last minute if you need to. Exactly. And we're just going to talk about a couple of highlights that are a little different from a brunch. Exactly. Most people are doing brunches, so that's, um, you know, and, and, and they're all going to be good. You know that. Um, Ponty is doing something a little different, which I think is interesting. They are going to do their regular menu, but do it from 2 to 8. So opening earlier on Sunday than normal and closing earlier than normal. Um, so that's kind of a fun thing, I think, to do differently if your mom just wants to relax over a great meal. Chef Alvin would do a fabulous job, and you could sit there and talk about a view. Look at that. Um, obviously, Lark and the Kentucky Derby Mother's Day combo is kind of interesting. Um, and then a lot of places are plated brunches. Tulalip does a huge buffet with the dessert thing. You know, it's it's like a Salties thing. Yeah, Salties would be like doing Salties that too. Or, or Palisade. Yeah. So that's doing it. And um, Hotcakes on Capitol Hill and Ballard are doing uh, some savory dishes and a special sweet treat, a, a mimosa. And I think it was like a Meyer lemon mimosa. So that there's some interesting things going on there. We're not going to go through all these because there are just page and page and page of brunches. But you get lots of choices if you go out on Seattle Dining and can find them all in the same spot. So we're trying to keep the calendar section short here today because yes. we've got a really nice interview coming up and we've already babbled so much. So yes. a couple more highlights. We've got about two minutes to go here. Yeah. Um, May 11th. Orphan Barrel Whiskey Tasting at Chandler's Crab House. The 12th, White Wine and Windows Wine Tasting at Salty's on the Columbia, if you're heading south. Um, a Jim Beam Whiskey Tasting for Dad at Prime 809 Lounge at Daniel's Brother Lake Union on oh, the 18th. Yeah. Um, this one's good. F May 20th, World's Largest Dog and Beer Festival. Dogs get in free when accompanied by a human. And so is it going to be the world's largest dog or the world's largest beer or both? It's the world's largest festival featuring dogs and beer. Oh, I see. And that's at Rogue Ales and, and Spirits. Uh, probably so that's because it's be. the first. Yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be the smallest, too. Oh, no, it's not the first. Oh. No, no. Um, and that is, I think, plenty. That's what's going on in May. And there's some a few more other things you're going to want to get out there and look at on the calendar. Okay, now who do we have coming up as a special guest today? We have Clover Thurk, who is the special events manager for the Pike Place Market Foundation. The reason we are having Clover with us is that the fundraising event that we do each year called Cooking with Class, it's our 15th annual year, and we are, for the first time, partnering with the Pike Place Market Foundation to benefit them. And they, in turn, benefit the agencies that help the low-income people around the market area. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting information in the interview. We've already done it, so we know what it sounds like. <laughs> um, we know all the information. And, uh, and you may be surprised to find out a few things about the market you didn't know. Exactly. So uh, stick around with us. We'll be right back.
Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Ponte Seafood Grill. Hi, this is Janie from Northwest Travel and Life magazine, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. My name is Cassandra, and one of my favorite restaurants in Olympia is Swing Wine Bar overlooking the Capitol and the lake. Kenny, are you awake? We're back with the Seattle Dining Show, and today our interviewee is Clover Thurk, the Special Events Manager from the Pike Place Market Foundation. And the two of us are going to talk about the event Cooking with Class, which is in its 15th year. And um, we're deep into the planning and very excited about it for two reasons specifically, but lots more. Um, first, it's our 15th anniversary, and that's, that's really great in the scheme of things, you know. Yeah. Um, and second, we have the new beneficiary, which is the Pike Place Market Foundation, um, and specifically in that foundation, the senior programs it supports. For the first 14 years, we have donated monies, the, the benefit, the proceeds from the event to senior programs. So changing beneficiaries, it's wonderful that we still get, get to keep that senior focus. Um, as always, the event takes place at Salty's on Alki. The owners, Jerry and Kathy Kingen, and corporate executive chef Jeremy McLaughlin, have always donated the venue along with chefs, food. They feed the volunteers before the event. They're just wonderful people. It's, uh, you know, Seattle's a very given, giving town. Mm-hmm. In general, restaurant-wise, it's huge. Mm-hmm. You know this, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is above and beyond. It's really amazing. Um, the event started with a woman named Eileen Mintz, who was a culinary public relations person. She happened to read something I'd written. We met for lunch, and over a two-hour lunch, we hatched this whole plan. Um, and I had started working for a, a nonprofit, but really missed the, the writing and the things that I was doing with restaurants. So it was my way of combining those two things. And uh, unfortunately, Eileen died of cancer several years back, but uh, the, the event goes on. Penny Rawson, who's been involved from the beginning, goes on. And now we have Clover. It's a testament to a good idea, yes, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, so we're very excited to be partnering with the market. It's such a Seattle icon. Um, keeping the senior focus is so great for us. So what we're here to talk with Clover about um, is what's going on with the foundation, other events at the market. And she's actually attended the event in the past. Mm-hmm. So she'll give us some uh, insight into that. Yes. Thanks for having me. You bet. Absolutely. Yeah. Why don't you start with um, some of the other market events that are that happen that, you know, kind of draw, draw us in as well. Yeah. Well, um, as hopefully all Seattleites know, the Pike Place Market is the epicenter of food yes. and action. Fresh food. Fresh food. And, um, I thought it was Tukwila. Oh, <laughs> well, Tukwila has fresh food too. Yeah. And it's a close second. It's a close second. <laughs> Um, and so we're, we have a couple longstanding events that are really great celebrations of food and artisanal makers in the area. Mm -hmm. Um, one we just closed on Friday night called Arcade Lights, which is our, um, artisanal makers celebrating the small businesses, the small craft foods and craft brews 
and wines that are being produced in the area. So a lot of new businesses. Yeah, which is good. Which is great. Yeah, it's really great to have an opportunity to get them all together and have yeah. a party and celebrate it and let them really shine yeah. all together. And the idea, right, is that people come and go get a little bit of something at yep. all these new places. Yeah, it's a tasting event. Yes. Yes. Um, the other tasting event we do is Sunset Supper, and that's our big party that yes. celebrates the anniversary of the opening of the market. Oh, okay. It is the second Friday of every August, um, and it has been going on. This will be a 21st year of this event. Wow. And this is the big party where we close down the cobblestone street, we get dressed up, we have a live band. This year we're going to have um, Grace Love, who's oh, a wow. great local artist, singing. Um, and we highlight um, the restaurants, the best tastes that are happening in Seattle in the moment. Yeah. As And as you well know, there's an overwhelming oh, it's abundance of yes. great food and wine. And it's a fun event. I've been yeah. to this event, and yeah. it's just... Way too fun. Yeah. Because the weather's beautiful and the music's out there yep. and you can smell all this food. Yeah. Yeah. So at the Pike Place Market Foundation, we love to eat and we love to party. <laughs> and that is why <laughs> Cooking with Class is such a great partnership for us. And yeah. we're thrilled to be a part of it this year. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're all about fun, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> yes. And Cooking with Class is a great time. What is it about, uh, you'd think, people who are doing fundraisers and things like that would be so darn serious. And instead right. we're like... No, not really. Right. Let's have some fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's eat and let's drink. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, you've been at Cooking with Class in the past. What mm -hmm. do you, you know, from your perspective, you've been twice or three I times? have been twice, twice I, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Um, I really, this event gives you um, an insight and a relationship that you don't get in other events. I really appreciate being able to really um, sit at the table with the chefs and see how they're doing it. I'm yeah. actually not a huge cooking television show fan. I know. So um, it's a great opportunity to sit with these chefs and um, kind of listen to how they're compiling these wonderful yeah. dishes and to learn something from them. You walk away with the recipes. You feel like you're walking away with skills mm -hmm. that you didn't walk in with. Exactly. Um, and it's a great opportunity. You're sitting at the table with a different mix of people because you get to eat and um, share that time with three different chefs mm -hmm. over the course of the evening, um, all paired with delicious wine. Yes. Um, and so it's just a really unique, well-planned yeah. event. Thank it's you. fun and, um, yeah, it's, it's unique in Seattle. Yeah. And the other thing that is really fun about it, I think, this you were talking from the guest side, mm -hmm. how fun it is to kind of get to know a chef. And, yeah. And be able to ask questions. But the chefs are often at these big fundraisers back in a kitchen. Yeah. They may come out at the end of the evening. Right. They often do and, and talk to the one table that they made food for and say, how did you enjoy it? Yeah. And, but they are getting to know you. And, you know, most of them are really – I don't think you get into food if you don't want to please people. Mm -hmm. So to be right there with people taking that first bite and going, oh, my God. Yeah. And the other thing I like about it is that they're doing it at – a a round table that would normally sit 12, and we put eight guests with them, so they've got space. But they've got like a butane heat source, mm -hmm. um, something like that. We don't like to use a lot of electrical because, you know. Because then the electricity goes out. Yeah, we, we cut off poor John Curley's auctioneer microphone a bunch of times one year, so we, we had to really cut back on that. More butane, more butane. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, people get a chance to really ask about things, mm -hmm. and the chefs get to – 
stand there right there and do it. Mm-hmm. And um, they're they're right in the midst of people. And the chefs come back every year. They yeah. really enjoy it. Yeah, it's a special special time for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about the foundation because that's obviously you know your focus and and why we want to partner with you too. We want the money to go to that foundation. Yes. Well, um, some might not know, but back in the day, in the 60s and 70s, the market was actually slated um, to be completely transformed into a parking lot. And there was also a very strong following for the proposal to um, add a ice hockey rink. (laughs) I did not know the ice hockey rink part. (laughs) Was was, uh, Chris uh, Hansen on that one? I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> sure if he was around then. Um, so uh, a very strong group of people called the Friends of the Market, Save the Market. Mm-hmm. Um, some might know the name Victor Steinbrook. Oh, yes. Um, and those folks um, saved the market, and in the charter of the saving of the market was to preserve it not only for the commerce that happens there, but for the low-income population that is supported by the neighborhood. And so the Pike Place Market Foundation was developed through that um, kind of that that movement. Um, We had social services that were emerging that needed more support. Mm -hmm. And so the Pike Place Market Foundation was developed to support those efforts. Um, One of the first fundraising projects that we did was to fundraise for a playground for the preschool that exists in the market. So a lot of people know the market for what they see, but what they maybe don't see is the senior center that's open seven days a week that is the busiest kitchen in the market of all the restaurants. Wow. Um, Can I go there? You're almost there. uh, Tom, how old are you? (laughs) How old do I have to be to go? I think you have to be 55. 55? Yeah. He's there. I could go. I think so. <laughs> See, it's an educational show today. Yes. <laughs> there's a place for everyone at the market. Um, and and um, there's a medical clinic at the market. Um, the Neighbor Care Health Pike Place Market Medical Clinic serves only an adult population, oh, okay. which means they need more fundraising than your average clinic. We older people have more problems. Well, not only that, but you are not um, as well funded as the young people in our society are. So um, that clinic is very busy. It serves, you know, 5,000 plus. Someone who understands us. (laughs) (laughs) We love Clover. Yes. Um, We have a food access program, which helps um, double the purchasing power of people who are on That's EBT right. cards when they're going out to buy their fresh produce. Explain the EBT card. So an EBT card is the new name of the food stamp Oh, okay. of old. Mm-hmm. So um, folks who are on public assistance get a EBT card. It's now like a little credit card, mm-hmm. um, which has a declining balance. And so folks who are on this program can double their purchasing power in the markets. Oh, and so with the relationship through the with the farmers and the farm stalls, um, folks can Im- increase their purchasing mm-hmm. power and really spend it on fresh fruits and vegetables, well, which is difficult gonna, to do. I was going to say, it used to be in the in the old days yeah. that fruits and vegetables were the cheapest thing you could get. Yeah. Now, if you really have no money, you're buying mac and cheese mm-hmm. in a box, 
and things like that. So you're eating all the carbs and all the things that are bad for you. Yeah. So to be able to get fresh food from the market. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And so through that food access program, there's also nutrition class. There's cooking classes that help support that oh, so people great. can go and learn how to prepare those um that produce, mm-hmm. um, the medical clinic also does nutritional programs to support it. So it's all kind of this uh, interwoven web of support in the market, which oh. is really unique. Mm-hmm. I have a question. In the market, when there's a vendor that does fruits and vegetables, are they required to be organic or not? Uh, they are not required to be okay. organic, no. No, there's all kinds of food accessible in season, um, the, one of the best things I think in the market to do is to go to the stalls that, um, like one of the high stalls that are there all the time and ask them what's in, what they're, what they're featuring. Yeah. And then they'll tell you how to prepare it. So okay. go over to Frank's and Frank's yeah. will say like, here's the garlic tops uh-huh. of the plants and saute those up. And it's just a fun experience to yeah. go get that. And, you know, our low income populations are getting that same experience by, um, being um, involved in our food access programs. Yeah, being and able to shop programs. there. Yeah. 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 I think it's very easy to feel totally disenfranchised, too, when you don't have money. Yeah. All of a sudden, you can't shop where other people shop, and you don't have access to things. So to be part of the same thing everybody else is part of mm-hmm. is the way it should be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you shouldn't feel like you can't get good food or don't yeah. know how to make it or don't have access to educational information. It's yeah. so great to just have everybody in the community on the same level. Yeah. Somebody said to me about a year ago that one of the unique things to them about the market is that you could be walking down the sidewalk and on one side of you is someone who's really experiencing gripping poverty. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of you is someone who's a millionaire. Yeah. The market has all kinds of people and they are existing together in neighborhood Mm-hmm. in community and it makes it a really special unique place that you don't find yeah very and the, often. the heritage exactly. house is separate from the elder services or is oh, that yeah. the same well providence elder place has a, a, a the program is there at heritage house as yeah. well yeah, but that's separate from the elder services you were first talking oh, well, about. Well, yeah, so we didn't get to that yet. Yeah, yeah. At Heritage House, there's um, it's actually the first supportive housing housing for um, low income seniors, and um, they are in the market proper, mm-hmm. and we also do some fundraising for them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, I mean, that's an incredible place. If I could live out my years. Oh, we're <laughs> planning on it. Yeah. <laughs> With a waterfront view and um, access to, you know, have you had food from the chef over there? Not lately. It's no, amazing. It's, been a years. it's amazing. And it is, I think it's food on demand. So when you're it is. up in the middle of the night, as often, yes. you know, elderly people, yeah. sleep wow. cycles are off, you, you just run down and. That was one of the things that happened food. a number of years ago. They took some fundraised money yeah. and bought this machine. It's almost like a conveyor belt thing. And it cooks really fast. It's not a convection oven. I don't mm. really understand what it is. But so it made that food on demand good for people. Because everybody's yeah. on a different schedule. Maybe you stay up all night. Maybe right. you don't get up in the morning. Right. But you could go down and have whatever you want. And they just whip it through the machine. It doesn't have a large staff that has to be there. Mm-hmm. But it's still cooked properly and right. tastes great. Fresh and, and healthy and yeah. available. So, so my question is, how many recipients annually are there of the of the fund? 
Good question. So we estimate that we support a community of about 11,000 folks yearly. That's so you, you can't account just how many people, not really. Tw- we're going to do 25 foundations this year and... Yeah, so we support the um, we support the whole of the community. Um, specifically, our fundraising is going to um, the the um, sorry the agencies in the market. Mm-hmm. So the senior center, um, the food bank, the clinic, the preschool, heritage house, our food access programs, and um, also the low income housing that exists in the market itself. Okay. And I don't know this for a fact. You can confirm or deny. Yeah. But I would think that a lot of people who are vendors at the market mm-hmm. aren't millionaires. Yeah. So the fact that they have a place to sell their product is a support in that way, too. It, it keeps people working. Yeah, and- it is It is a lively, thriving place to be. We also do have a, a fund called the Community Safety Net that we have that's um, emergency funds for people who are in either living, working, or supported by the the market neighborhood itself, where we can provide emergency funds. So mm-hmm. say there's a vendor in the market who becomes ill and can't pay their rent. Mm-hmm. We can provide an emergency fund for that. How, great. How do, great. Where do the millionaire musicians fit into that? <laughs> well, the buskers are part of it. Uh-huh. Okay. Of course. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're not millionaires. No, I don't think they're. <laughs> Except maybe Jim Page, because he sells so many CDs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, as you can see from the things we're talking about, cooking with class does fit in with this because of that whole mm-hmm. food connection. Yeah. And because your other events are so fun and so food and wine focused, mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. Um, one of the things that I forgot to talk about in the beginning was that we make a really huge effort to get as much as possible donated to this event yeah. so that the most money can go to the, the foundation mm-hmm. and then to the agencies. Yeah. So, um, for instance, I, I want to thank all the wineries who are so quick to jump on, just like the restaurants. Yeah. Once we get the dishes from the chefs, they each create a, a recipe that they're going to teach to those three different classes, and they provide their time, their food, their product, and then I send that list of dishes to the wineries. And the wineries say, oh, that salmon dish would go great, great with our Pinot Noir. Or, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to do oysters from Taylor Shellfish on the deck. I've got the perfect oyster-friendly wine. Yeah. And they jump on. So all those wines are donated to go to this cause as well. And then we have a number of people like Jeff Pita from Blends, um, Joe from Marta D Winery. They pour at our tasting table. Yeah. So you're getting... If you if you get a glass of wine, you can say to them, "What's this about?" A little yeah. bit, and it may not be their wine that they right. donated, but they can look at the back and they can look at the percentages and yep. say, "Oh, the, you know, the sugar content is this," yep. or you know. So, and I've had those conversations with them. I'm yes. looking for something a little less yes. fruity, and they'll say, "Oh, this one." Yeah, and, that, and that's it. all so, dependent yeah. on if I didn't make a mistake and deliver the wrong wine to the wrong <laughs> table. Yes, every year we have a little issue with my wine. <laughs> Put her outer. <laughs> Your expediter. Yes, my expediter. Yeah, yeah but, it um, is amazing how generous people are. Yes. And um, the auction items are yes. donated. The raffle items are donated. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. It and is. for the last uh, two years, and I think we're going to do something this year, is um, 
the atrium kitchen at the market has been donated. And we have a chef, Peter Levine, go down there and do something special for a group of people. So great auction items that are all so culinary related. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great event. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up. I just want to say that for any of you who's interested in donating, sponsoring, attending, you can email me, Connie, at seattledining.com or Clover, clover clover.thurk, T-H-U-R-K, at pikeplacemarket.org. We'd love to have everybody involved. Clover, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you for dropping by. Thanks, Tom. Uh, We're going to be right back with a couple of tips and tricks and ideas on ways to play with your food. We like that. (laughs) We'll be right back. Hi, this is Julie from Tavolo. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Hi, my name is Christina and I live in Redmond, Washington. One of my favorite places to go in Seattle is La Toulouse Petite and it's so amazing for Cajun. It's just amazing and they have tapas and drinks and you can be there for hours and it's amazing. enjoyed that interview with Clover. And now we'd like to end the show with a tip. And last, a couple months ago, we started doing an eat at home tip, an eat out tip, and a gadget tip. So we're going to start with Tom on the eating at home tip. So uh, as I went through my smart fat book the other day, I sort of wanted to clean out my kitchen. And I thought, you know, it's a, it's a good time to uh, spring clean the kitchen. And uh, you'll be amazed at some of the things that you'll find in your pantry. And yes. So uh, uh, in my case, I was taking uh, boxes of sugar and throwing them away, bags of flour, throwing them away, uh, all kinds of stuff. I went through all my spice canisters, um, didn't have any that were really too bad. I had one that had to go mm-hmm. um, in terms of what the contents were. Um, and then I sort of reorganized them. I have some little plastic stuff so I can, I buy all my spices in bulk. I don't Mm -hmm. buy jars of spices too expensive and I never use them all. Exactly. And then they lose their strength and. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden I had some more room in my pantry and I was (laughs) able to move stuff that I was storing on the shelf, like oils and that sort of thing. I was able to put those into the pantry drawer. So that was nice. So, uh, and isn't it great to open your pantry and be able to see what you've got and pick it out without moving stuff yeah. off the top? And yeah, and I know where everything is. Yeah. So uh, uh, you know, it was, it was raining cats and dogs, and that's when I was doing it. Perfect, perfect, perfect time. Thing to do. Yeah. Spring cleaning on a spring rainy day. For eating out, I would just like to say, in this time of transition, it's really good to pay attention to your bill. Um, Restaurants are more and more charging a service fee, and you don't have to tip. Others are not. Some do both. Uh, You know, be aware of what's on your bill and go from there. If service is just so great and you want to do more, you can still tip the server. But if you are happy with the 20% usually that that restaurants are charging as a service fee, you're good to go. You don't need to over tip. So just a just a reminder to kind of be aware of where you are because yeah, exactly. everybody's doing it differently. Because, you know, I mean, like, okay, so Tom Douglas is doing it, I believe, at all his places now. 
He's doing a 20%? Somebody, I can't remember if it was him, but somebody was doing it only in Seattle restaurants where the minimum wage went up, but right. not in their restaurants outside. But he's all inside, so he would, uh, yeah. yeah. so, yeah, and so, and, and it may be doing them at some and not at others, and you may not actually know that Tom owns some restaurant yes. that you're sitting in, and... And your bill will show up, and you'll just write a tip on it without actually taking a look at that charge. So, yeah, yeah, be, yeah, be aware just, of that. And and you know, there was uh, somebody who went with the service charge and then decided not to stick with it. So even though you think you've got somebody figured out, it may change on you. So, uh, you know, it's not a negative about anything. We're just saying pay attention. All right, gadget tip. Gadget tip. Um, well, I was making a, uh, that ricotta cherry swirl the other day and I needed to get two tablespoons of fresh lemon juice. Um, so two ways to do it. Um, number one, I pull out the small strainer I have and then I'll squeeze the lemon over that. And I could just squeeze it right into a ramekin, but then I have to scoop out two perfect tablespoons. Uh, my other way around it was I just placed the tablespoon over the top of the ramekin, squeezed and filled it up, tipped it into the ramekin, did it a second time, and I had two tablespoons of lemon. Yeah. So uh, I know it's all stupid stuff, but no, uh, it's know, all it's fun stuff to do in a kitchen. And and I was able to save some lemon juice and not have to toss it out. Yeah. So. The other thing is, you know, in a restaurant, you're looking for anything that will save you time and effort and, and waste. And this is one of those tips that seems silly, but, you know, it can help you. So it is time to wrap up. Thanks for joining us on the show. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit www.seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. We want you to dine well. We want you to dine safe. And we want you to dine often. And don't cook like my mother. Please don't cook like Tom's mother. See you next month. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the seattle dining show